0: Summary point number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth is the only begotten Son of God by His glorious incarnation in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of God. I'm going to go fast. There will be 250 slides for you to go through. Summary point number two, Jesus declared, God declared Jesus of Nazareth, His beloved Son, at the key events of His baptism and His transfiguration. Here is a voice from heaven at His baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here is his transfiguration when Peter suggested that they make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. At least Peter put the Lord first in the list of three. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. They fell on their face and were sore afraid when they were so bold just two verses earlier. Jesus is the Son of God at least three ways. I have to teach you the doctrine of the Son of God. It's my job. So you've got to learn some doctrine with me. Jesus is the Son of God at least three ways. He is the eternal Son of God by covenant. Not by nature, because he didn't get any of his divine nature as the Son of God. Not by nature as eternal sonship heretics, say for their begotten God. For God in his eternal counsel appointed Jesus to come die for us in eternity. He appointed him, and he chose us in him in eternity. Amen. This is is important for you to understand so that somebody can't throw verses at you that are dealing with this covenant aspect of Jesus as a Son of God, and you get confused about it being part of his nature. No, it's by covenant. 1 Peter 1, 19, But with the precious blood of Christ is how we're redeemed, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God ordained Jesus by covenant to come and die for us before He existed. If you're troubled by that, then let's look at it this way. God chose you in his son to be saved before you existed according as he God hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world and you didn't have existence this is these are covenant transactions that God made and we want to remember them that way and so is Jesus the eternal son of God by covenant am I an eternal son by covenant yes yes And there's another one. Jesus is the Son of God at least three ways. He is the incarnate Son of God by nature. For God gave him a flesh body or a flesh nature, a human nature, in time by Mary's conception, making him the God-man with a complete human nature and yet also the fullness of the Godhead. So that's the incarnate sonship by nature, eternal sonship by covenant only only. I don't even like using the words because you might get confused. He is the eternal son of God by covenant because he was ordained to come and be a son and to die for us. Luke 1.35 The angel told Mary when she said, how can this thing be? How can I give birth to a son when I've never known a man? That holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. That's the human nature that God gave Jesus. John 1.14 The word was made flesh. That's a human nature and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Who's the only begotten of the Father? but He got a human nature. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. He's revealed God. Notice this. Dwelt among us, and we beheld him. No man hath seen God at any time, but we beheld God's Son, because he had a flesh and human nature. First John 1 John 1.3 says the same things. We've heard Him. We've seen Him. We've looked upon Him. We've handled Him with our hands. The life was manifested. That means we could see Him. We saw it. We bear witness. That eternal life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.4, 4, made of a woman. Jesus, the Son of God, was made of a woman in this second way. He became; he was the incarnate Son by nature, for God gave him a flesh body. There's a third way, and this is what we're dealing with. This is the one I'm preaching to you. Right. He is the manifest Son of God by declaration and glorification, which was after his resurrection, ascension, coronation, and inheritance, when formally named and promoted over all things but God Himself. Right. This is the manifest sonship of God of Jesus Christ. Right. Jesus is the manifest Son of God by being declared and glorified this way. Romans 1. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. That would be number two, correct? Mm-hmm. Incarnate, son, incarnate sonship by a human nature through Mary. But then declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Hebrews 1 being made so much better than the angels by giving by inheritance, right here, inheritance, and being given a more excellent name than any of them as the Son of God. Crown with glory and honor in Hebrews 2.9. First Peter 3.2, he was promoted over all the angels, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. First Corinthians 15.27, for God hath put all things under Christ's feet, God hath put all things under Christ's feet, but God Himself is accepted from that because He is not under the feet of Christ. Revelation 1:17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Jesus Christ was very different when John saw him glorified. I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And look at what he has now. I have the keys of hell and of death. He's the manifest Son of God. So he's eternal by covenant. He's incarnate by the Virgin Mary's birth. And he is the manifest Son by declaration, glorification, and all these other factors. Understandest thou this? Do you understand those three differences? Amen. You're going to run into them in the Bible. You're going to run into them of enemies of the cross and enemies of the true identity of Jesus Christ. For you to more fully understand the threefold sonship of Jesus Christ, it may help to see your own. We're sons three ways. Right. We're eternal sons of God by covenant. For God, an eternal counsel predestinated us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. There it is. We're sons of God by nature for God by creative and regenerative power quickened us into new life with a holy and righteous nature. Amazing. Interesting. Okay. Is that in the Bible? And that you put on the new man. You were given a new man by the regenerative power of God, which after God is created. It's a creation. Your new nature in righteousness and true holiness. You have a new man nature like that. Third, we are manifest sons of God. Are we really? Oh, yes. There's a whole lot more to happen to us than the first two things of being chosen in Christ and being regenerated. We are manifest sons of God by declaration and glorification which occurs after our resurrection, ascension, and inheritance of all things as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Is that in the Bible? Oh, yes. I love Romans 8. Right here, for the earnest expectation, earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for something. The whole creation is waiting for an event, the manifestation of the sons of God to be declared to the universe. For the creature, the whole creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Did Jesus rest in hope in the grave? The whole creation is resting in hope that God is going to deliver it through the deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's the event we're waiting for. A whole new universe, new heavens and a new earth, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me you will be declared to the universe to be the children of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, only in certain ways. You sure don't look like it. You sure don't have an inheritance yet. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. Amen. So whenever you read all those glorious things about Him, you're going to be just like Him. The white horse scene that Jim read to you this morning, in that same passage it says that the armies of heaven followed him on white horses. Amen. And that's us. Understandest thou this. Amen. These are the phases of salvation, but I'm presenting them a little differently. Summary point number three. Paul interpreted and applied Psalm 2:7 with his inspired words in Acts 13 Hopefully you've got that telling us the event was associated with His resurrection. The event formally fulfilling Psalm 2-7 was our Lord's resurrection inclusive. This is my word to help you. Inclusive. Not exclusive of connected events. Because the resurrection didn't do it by itself. It's what the resurrection said in process. In other words, do not be confused and do not restrict the resurrection of Jesus to that specific event only. God expects you to have read the Bible and to understand that the resurrection of Jesus initiated other events involving his exaltation. Prove it to me. I'm glad you asked. Notice this question at the top of these slides. What event or events is or are ignored in this verse? Ephesians 1.20 Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. What's missing? That's impossible. If you have a problem with Acts 13.33 pointing out the resurrection and you're not including the other events that follow, I'm going to prove that you can't understand the Bible at all if you follow that line of reasoning. So I ask you, when God raised Jesus from the dead, is the next event him setting him at his own right hand? He had to ascend. He was on earth. God's in heaven. Quickly. I have a lot of these. To help you, I want you to learn to think. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. What was in front of that? He died the death of the cross. And God's highly exalted him. What event is missing? Resurrection's missing. Ascension is missing. Why would God do that? Because he expects that you're older than six. And that you understand the gospel, that there's a whole string of events that were initiated with, re- with re- resurrection. Hebrews 1.3. Let's get down right down to here. Purged our sins and sat down. Really? What had to happen between purging our sins and sitting down on the right hand of the majesty on high? He had to be resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven. 1 Timothy 3.16. Where's the resurrection? It has his ascension and it has his incarnation. Where's his resurrection? John 7. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive on the day of Pentecost, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. What had to come before glorification? He had to ascend up into heaven. What had to come before ascending up into heaven? Resurrection. What had to come before resurrection? He had to die. Why didn't they list all those? Because that would be so repetitive and redundant, it would make the Bible undesirable to read. You're supposed to know all that. Jesus wasn't yet glorified because he didn't get the Holy Spirit to give to the church until he was glorified. Remember, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Remember, he had to get glorified first to be given the Holy Ghost. So it just jumps to that event. I'm trying to help you with Acts 13.33 if you wonder why I'm doing this. It just says resurrection in Acts 13.33. Revelation 12.5, she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God. That's his ascension. What happened between his incarnation and his ascension? His resurrection, but here the resurrection's ignored. Hebrews 2.9, Jesus, who was made little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, there's his death on the cross, but here he's crowned with glory and honor. That's his coronation. Coronation is in the Bible by these words, crowned with glory and honor. Revelation 5.9, thou wast slain, there's his death, and hast redeemed us to God. But now he's in heaven, taking the book. Did anything happen in between? Resurrection, ascension, and so forth. Hebrews 10.12, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, that's his death, sat down in the right hand of God. A lot of things had to happen. Hebrews 12, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God. Where's the resurrection? It's assumed and implied. And so I'm torturing you with all of these to make you think when you read the Bible. God doesn't have to list every single event when you're supposed to know that those events are all interrelated and one initiates the others, and it's a process. So he mentions individual ones of the list of six um, and doesn't have to list all the other five along with them. That would make the Bible less than a Dick and Jane book. The Bible's beautiful. It's perfectly written. And for somebody that, for somebody that gets troubled in Acts thirteen thirty three about the resurrection, I'm very fine with that. But I'm saving you from it by showing you that if you'll just trust the rest of the Bible, it tells you that there are other things connected to that resurrection. Right. I love the way God wrote his word just the way he wrote it. And he wants us to figure it out, and it's fun figuring it out, to know how those all go together. After he raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't do anything to Him here on earth. He didn't do anything here on earth that he hadn't done before. He had to ascend up into heaven, receive his inheritance, be crowned with glory and honor, be exalted and given a new new name, a name which is above every name, a name which is above any of the angels, and, and all things put under his feet. What two verses demand that Psalm 2 7 occurred after his resurrection? After his resurrection though initiated by, after his resurrection, though initiated by it, these two. Philippians 2, 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. When did that happen? Not at his resurrection, after his resurrection, which was after his ascension. After his ascension, which was after his resurrection, when he was in heaven, when he was given the name the Son of God, because he wasn't given the name the Son of God, according to Hebrews chapter 1, which is the next verse we go to, until after he was made... So much better than the angels. And he wasn't made so much better than the angels on earth, even after his resurrection. Being made so much better than the angels. So it tells us when. It was after the resurrection and in the following events, because he got in, by inheritance, he got that name that this verse refers to. Given him a name, which is above every name, he got the name by inheritance. He didn't get the name by resurrection, but resurrection initiated all those events just like death initiated his resurrection. If he hadn't died, he wouldn't have been raised from the dead. He couldn't have died unless he was incarnate with a human nature that could suffer death. So it all is traced back and all interconnected. And if you don't think, the Lord expects us to think. We're supposed to sing with our understanding. We're supposed to pray with the understanding. And we're certainly supposed to read with the understanding. Number four, the content and the context of Psalm 2 and Hebrews 1 and 2 have His resurrection and ascension in view. Not any eternal generation and not even His incarnation. So it's not point one, it's not point two, it's point three, the manifestation of the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ declared Him to be the Son of God with power and was an official begetting to His reign as King on Zion's holy hill. And these verses are verses that I have shown you. The first begotten of the dead, and so forth, was an official begetting with power. He could say to his apostles, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. God highly exalted Jesus after his resurrection, after his resurrection, when he was crowned in heaven with glory and honor and given his inherited name, Son of God, in the phase of manifestation of Jesus as the Son of God. All those verses. Number seven, Jesus is exalted on David's throne in the holy hill of Zion. Resurrection didn't get him there. Resurrection was only part of the events, that, one of the events that got him there. He's exalted over all angels, over all men, with a rod of iron given to him formally by his father, according to the prophecy and according to its fulfillment. It is our blessed duty to defend the truth about Jesus, the Son of God for there were and are many antichrists. 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul was worried about the Corinthians believing another Jesus, that another Jesus was being taught by false apostles, deceitful workers that were truly the ministers of Satan, because it was Satan himself and his ministers to be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. 1 Timothy 3.15, Our church must be the pillar and ground. We must support and help and promote the Christ truth of the Bible. The church of the living God is the pillar and ground of the truth. And what is verse 16 about? All about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's his ascension, and there's his incarnation, and everything in between. And if you were to ask me, I've taught you, and you would say, where is the resurrection in that list? I would say he was justified in the spirit, because it says, He was declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, that it was the Spirit of God that raised him from the dead. It's just not listed and stated clearly that way. 1 John 2. The word Antichrist is only used in 1 and 2 John. It's not used in the book of Revelation. It's not in the book of Daniel. Though the empires and the kingdoms that would be Antichrist are in Daniel and in the book of Revelation. So we go to 1 John 2.18 because we're looking for this. Confusing the Father and the Son is Antichrist. We do not want to be confused about them. We want to know exactly who they are and how they relate to each other and how Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. The assault against the proper knowledge of Jesus has taken place since the Apostles so, for 2,000 years, there's been a war against people like us who believe what we do about Jesus, the Son of God. 1 John 2 four verses later. Who is a liar? Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. God has testified of his Son This is my Son. Because look at the verse Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. If you deny that Jesus is not the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, that Jesus is not the anointed one of Psalm 2, that Jesus is not the anointed one of Daniel 9, 24, you're a liar, and you've denied the Father and the Son. We believe the witness of men, but the witness of God is greater. And if you don't believe what God has said about His Son, you're denying the Son and you're denying the Father. Confusing the Father and the Son is Antichrist. And they do it by eternal sonship. And dispensationalists do it by, pr- by put deferring the kingly reign of the Lord Jesus Christ as the anointed one of God, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, yet they put it way out into the future by 2,000 years. First John, I hope you understand that. That is all you get right now. I, if you had the energy, I have it. By the grace of God, Every spirit that confesseth not, every spirit, how do we try the spirits? How do we know what spirit is really of God? Every spirit that doesn't confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already, is it in the world? 2 John 1, this is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Many deceivers who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, Remember, if you don't believe and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you not only deny the true purpose and person of Jesus Christ, but you deny the Father because it's the Father that said, this is my Son. I want this church to love Jesus Christ and to count Him more preeminent than anyone else. Not for us, for for Him. Look to yourselves. Yes, brethren, that we lose not those things that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Let's be the true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I exhort you with Barnabas at the church of Antioch, purpose in your heart to cleave unto the Lord and never leave him. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not, cleave unto the Lord and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Do you understand the importance of what I'm trying to preach to you right now? You have got to understand the Son properly. Look at the priesthood. Look at His Sonship. Look at the holy hill of Zion. Look at the order of events. Notice what His resurrection brought into play and the process that resulted with Him inheriting the universe. If you miss that, you miss a blessing. And you miss God's blessing because you have, not, you have rejected the testimony that He has testified of His Son. False Christ. Jesus was only a good man. Some say, Jesus was only a prophet. He was only the son of David. Remember the Pharisees? Which think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Son of David? No, 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 no. Why did David call him Lord? Some would claim G- Christ themselves. Paul feared the doctrine of another Jesus. Paul feared corruption by philosophy. Colossians 2, 8. John said some denied Jesus as Christ. John said some denied his flesh body. Origin and dupes invented eternal sonship. Schofield followed Jewish fables to deny him as being king. Blind Arminianism. I'm going to leap over this. This is the lordship. Con- uh, no, I won't. Because you just need to understand what I really think about John MacArthur. Since I've, used, since I've mentioned him to you a number of times because I want you to, if you're going to look at the news, you might as well look at what the state of California is doing to, and Los Angeles County is doing to John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. Blind Arminians. These are the ordinary Arminians accuse John MacArthur and others like him of legalism because they require sinners to confess Jesus as Lord. In order to get saved, you need to say, Jesus, I need you as my Savior because I am a sinner and I make you the Lord of my life. And they accuse John MacArthur believes that you should say that. And they say John MacArthur is a legalist because he's added works to salvation by making Jesus Lord of his life. Now, I know. I know what you're thinking. It's what I thought when I heard it the first time. I said, that is impossible that Arminians could be that stupid. <laughs> no. It is not impossible at all, and it's a huge controversy. It is not a little tiny controversy over in a corner. It's a huge, huge controversy that how are you going to get saved? Are you going to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I accept you as my Savior? And they would say that's how you get saved. And if you say anything beyond that, then you're adding works to it. If you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I accept you as my Savior, and I make you the Lord of my life, that's going way too far because it's involving your works. That's the lordship controversy. But what does the Bible have to say? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified. Yes, both Lord and Christ. Amen. First Corinthians twelve three. Wherefore I give you to understand. Thank you, Lord. No man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Do you want to prove that you're saved? Then say Jesus is Lord. Right. And then show it. How did, Paul, how did Saul of Tarsus first meet Jesus of Nazareth? Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Jesus Christ is the son of David and son of God. He is the high king of heaven that we sing about, worthy of your greatest adoration and trust for time and eternity. Amen. The warnings and threats of Psalm 2 are not idle words. For those who neglect or resist Jesus Christ will be sorely punished in this world and the next. He is coming soon with his mighty angels in flaming fire to wreak vengeance on all those who know not God and do not obey the gospel. He is a perfect and successful Savior who will not lose even one of those given to him by election and has never rejected one that calls on him for mercy. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's in John. What chapter is it in? Somebody, say something. Six. Yes! You should be shouting it. Six! Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you show it by a changed life from this wicked generation? And you keep him and his things most important in life. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Kiss the Son. There is no authority or person in heaven or on earth that comes even close to our Jesus. Right. Trust in him. Remember Psalm 2, 12, last sentence? He can and will save all that believe in him from pain and trouble in this world and in the world to come. What will you do today to glorify Jesus, the Son of God? Jesus, the Son of God. Wonderful five words they are. What will you do today to glorify Jesus, the Son of God, and make him more important in your earthly life?